Last Sunday we were reminded that salvation is not something we earn, but comes to us by God's grace through faith. Verses 11 to 22 teach us what difference the grace of God makes in our lives. We'll pick up the reading in verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We're going to just um, commit this um, time to God in prayer as we come to his word. Let us pray. Father God, as we've just sung, we want to stand by every promise in your word. And so as we come to study your word together now, help us to understand those promises, uh, help us to receive them and apply them to our own lives so that they can be ours. We pray that you would speak to us through your spirit now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of you might know I was living in um, Berlin at a time when the wall was still up. And uh, there was something quite bizarre about it, but there was also something quite sinister about it. Here were the people united in their, their history, their language, their, their culture. Families separated by a political power. It's not the only wall that's been built to separate people. There's the uh, so-called Peace Wall, and I think some of these pictures will be coming up on the screen. Um, in Belfast, the um, uh, Irish contingent here, the, uh, the wall which um, divides the Irish nationalist and unionist neighbourhoods, the Israeli uh, West Bank Wall, which is there to protect them against terrorist attacks from Palestinians. And um, the final one is the, the um, Korean demilitarised zone, which separates North and South Korea. And whatever separation 
occurs, whether it's through different nations or peoples or communities or individuals, it has this devastating effect, doesn't it? Because we're made in the image of God, that means we have the ability, we have the need to relate to other people, and so it undermines something of our humanity. So the passage we're looking at this morning doesn't just look at our alienation from each other, it also looks at the greatest alienation that we can experience, which is our alienation from God. The passage is similar to the one we looked at last time, that is looking back to what, as Christians, we once were, before rejoicing in what we now are, and looking at what made that possible. And there are key, three key adverbs in this passage which will help us see the structure and flow of it. If you look, uh, look down at your page, verse 11, it says, um, formerly, in verse 13, but now, and verse 19, consequently. And the thing or the person that links them all together is Jesus Christ. Formerly, you were separate from Christ, but now you have been united and reconciled by Christ. And consequently, you now live as God's people in Christ. So we're going to tackle the first two of these, then we'll pause and take communion together, because the theme of the second one is very much what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And then we'll come back to the final point to finish on after the Lord's Supper, what a people we now are. So you are separate from Christ. Now the passage last time, Paul used the description, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And that's explains another way of saying that you were separate from God. But here he is writing to the Ephesians as those who were by birth Gentiles, in other words they were non-Jews, and he's trying to get them to remember what they were once like. So how does he describe them before they came to Christ? Well, the first description in verse 12 is they were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise. They were excluded, they were foreigners. Excluded, what a harsh thing, isn't it? If you are persistently disobedient to school, we call it trouble at school, um, eventually you'll be excluded. You used to be expelled, but now you're excluded. I'm not sure which one uh, sounds worse, but um, it's one thing to be excluded when you've done something wrong, but to be excluded just because of your nationality, the colour of your skin, is much harsher, isn't it? It's not long since um, blacks were excluded in South Africa from places where white people went. It's not that much longer that it happened in the US as well. But why were the, the Gentiles excluded from God's promises? Well, to understand that we need to go back to the fall when people were separated from God because of their rebellion. So the whole mankind was separated from God. And God promised to redeem humankind, to bring them back to him. And his plan for doing that was to choose one nation, Israel, to be a blessing to the rest of the world. And so he made a covenant, a promise, with them. And part of the trouble is that what happened is that Israel forgot that um, she'd been called to do a certain thing, to be a blessing to the world. And instead of treating her position as a privilege, um, she became arrogant and hateful towards the other nations. And so the relationship between Jews and Gentiles was like things were between blacks and, and, and whites in South Africa, Muslims and non-Muslims in some countries today. There was a dividing wall of hostility. 
And the Jews would call others in a somewhat derogatory way, as Paul says here, the, um, the uncircumcised, because they didn't have the mark of God's people. And what they didn't realize, as Paul was hinting at here, was what God was really looking for was not just a physical mark, but a spiritual circumcision, or something which would become available to both Jews and Gentiles, something that touched their heart. So they were foreigners, they were excluded. They're also called here without hope and without God. Because although God had planned to include them in his people one day, they weren't aware of that promise, and therefore they had no hope for a change in their position. And although we're told in Romans that God has revealed himself to all mankind in nature, we're also told that people chose to suppress the truth, to turn instead to created things instead of a, a creator. So in short, these seasons, like others, worshipped other gods. Paul is describing their position as Gentiles, but of course what he's also describing is the position of people before they become Christians. We were all separated from God. We were all separated from his people because we refused to accept him over us, his authority over us. And so our lives, if we are Christians now, were once upon a time without God, whether we realised it or not. Our lives were without hope. And the call to remember here is not just directed to those who were once Gentiles, it's directed to all who are without God at some point. To remember, it says, that you, that at that time you were separate from Christ. And the reason it's important to keep remembering our former way of life is it's easy for us to forget, isn't it? It's easy for us to lose our gratitude for what God has done for us. That's why we have the Lord's Supper. Um, Jesus knew that we would forget. He said, do this in remembrance of me, of what I've done for you. Well, having told them to remember what they were like, he goes on to remind them of what has changed. And the thing that's changed is that you have been united, you have been reconciled by Christ. Last week we saw how important were those two words, but God. We had the, the picture before the, the change was but God. Well, it's the same here, except this time in verse 13, it's but now in Christ Jesus. He's the one who brought the change about. What did he do? Well, first of all, he made the two groups one. These are two groups who were divided by hostility, they hated each other, but Christ made the two groups one. And the way he did that was by his own blood. Verse 14. He says he made the two groups one. He destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its common commands and regulations. I remember seeing the Berlin Wall being knocked down. That dividing wall of hostility between East and West was destroyed by the people. They got there with their sledgehammers and took, took to the wall. Um, and two nations suddenly became overnight one. And suddenly those East German border guards who looked so sort of uh, uh, fearsome um, had smiles on their faces. They realised they'd now become one. But what does it mean for Christ to destroy this wall by 
it says this, setting aside the law with its commands and regulations. Isn't that a strange thing? Well, we have to be careful when we talk about the Old Testament law. If you don't read passages like this and assume that, well, actually that means all that Old Testament law stuff has no relevance for us anymore. Because remember Jesus also said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And the, the moral law, the Ten Commandments, uh, they don't just suddenly cease to be relevant. Jesus referred to them in his Sermon on the Mount. So what's he getting at here then? Well, what he's referring to is all the laws that were designed to show that Israel had a different status from the other nations around them. That God has set them aside for a purpose. All the laws that prefigured Jesus' coming. And most importantly, the, the laws of sacrifice. They, these were a way of dealing with sin, making the people right with God, but they were just a temporary thing. They pointed to, to Jesus' one perfect sacrifice when he would come, which would deal with sin for all time, for all people. So when Jesus allowed himself to be sacrificed on the cross, it was a perfect, it was a permanent sacrifice that dealt with sin forever. And it's available for anyone who puts their trust in him. Which brings us on to the greater reconciliation. Jesus made the two groups one, but he also reconciled both of those two groups to God. Look how Paul carries on here. He says his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. The Jews had a privileged position. They didn't change the fact that they too needed to be reconciled to God. It wasn't simply their status as God's covenant people that saved them. It was their trust in a Messiah, in Jesus Christ. And as many as many of them did do, they refused to accept Jesus. Then they were in no better position than the other nations. All humans of whatever nationality share the same basic problem, hostility towards God. And Jesus came to put to death that hostility. He came to bring peace. Peace between people and God. Peace to those who were far away. Peace to those who were near. The Gentiles were far away and needed peace. The Jews were near but still needed peace. Peace with each other. But more importantly, peace with God. And as Christ bore our sin, as he bore our judgment on the cross, God turned his wrath away and he enabled us to see his love. He brought us peace. And so whereas God was previously remote from us because of his holiness and our sin, we now come into his, into his presence. And it's a great privilege to be able to do that. It says in verse 18, For through him we both have access to the Father, by one spirit. It's the work of Father, Son and Spirit, work of the Trinity in reconciling us to God. Now of course that doesn't mean the whole of our humankind is reconciled to God. It does say Jesus came and preached peace to you who are near and you who are far. People had to accept that offer of peace. And there may be some here this morning who are near. The fact that you're in church this morning means you're hearing that message of peace being preached. The question is will you accept that offer and be reconciled to God. The Irish peace negotiations went on for, for many years, didn't they? Um, 
in 2006, Ian Paisley says this, he says, Sinn Féin are not fit to be in partnership with decent people. They are not fit to be in the government of Northern Ireland, and it will be over our dead bodies if they ever get there. Yes. Then a year later, he was elected as First Minister of Northern Ireland, with Sinn Féin, um, with Martin McGuinness as the Deputy First Minister. And what he said on that day was, Today, at long last, we are starting upon the road, enterprise starting, which I believe will take us to lasting peace in our province. God's peace offer is not an exclusive offer to some people, it's an offer to everyone. And the question is, are you going to accept it? If so, then we have an opportunity now to take part in the Lord's Supper. And um, I'd invite anybody here who has accepted what Christ has done for them, has accepted that offer of peace, to come and celebrate what he's done for us on the cross. Mark is going to lead this time now as we reflect on that. Um, and then we'll come back to what it means to be part of God's people. Great, as we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper and remember all that Jesus has done for us, uh, it would be right for us to examine our own hearts and see, uh, I want to acknowledge the ways that we've fallen short of God's standard. Just going to sit on the screen. Words from Psalm 51, that's a prayer that David prayed uh, after he recognised um, the rebellion he had done against God when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. The great truth of the passage that Neil has been unpacking is that if we put our trust in Jesus, we can be reconciled to God. We can have a relationship with him and we can come before him boldly. So if you have been able to read those words of David and you can echo them in your own heart, then join with me please and we will say the short prayer underneath. Thank you that you hear my prayer and thank you that I can have assurance of my forgiveness because of all that Jesus Christ has done for me. I turn from my sin to you, my Saviour and my Lord. Amen. Let me just read one of the verses that Neil was just teaching us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Just in a moment of quiet, why don't you echo in your own heart a prayer of thankfulness to God for all that he's given you in Jesus. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for the incredible sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our place. We thank you that it's through your blood shed on the cross for us that we can be brought near to you again. And so in this moment of thankfulness, we remember the words of Jesus. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. As the bread is served, can I just ask you to remain quiet in your own heart and thank God for all that he's given you in Jesus Christ. Do join with me as we pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we eat this bread, we remember your body that she's broken in our place. We thank you and praise you for your sacrifice for us that reconciles us to God. And we claim that promise now that if we put our trust in you, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Then after supper, Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks and offered it to his disciples saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood in the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Love so amazing, 
so divine demands my life, my soul, my all. Let's drink together, uh, recognizing our unity in Jesus and thanking him for his sacrifice in our place. Just one final word. We often focus on the bread and on the wine. As Jesus spoke to his disciples at the Last Supper, there's a verse that comes after that we often miss, but he said this, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. It's a great encouragement reminder to us to keep going, to trust that the best is yet to come, that one day we will be with him forever. So I pray that for each of us this morning, that we remember that, and as we've celebrated the Lord's Supper, we will keep going and we will keep trusting. Amen. For having celebrated what Christ has done by way of uniting us, and reconciling us to God, the past finishes on already, encouraging those what life is like as a member of God's people. And it's great to drink together, isn't it, to demonstrate that unity that we have. Because what he's saying here is that you now live in unity with God's people in Christ, as part of his kingdom, as part of his family, and as part of his temple. Let's take each of one of those briefly in turn. You're part of his kingdom. And Paul says to Ephesians, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. He's not saying that you become a citizen of a new country. He's not saying that the Roman Empire is about to uh, come to an end. This kingdom that he's talking about is God's kingdom. It's not a geographical place. It's a people who willingly submitted to God's rule. It's a kingdom which crosses man-made walls, which crosses languages, races, and cultures, got a prayer letter this week from the Coos family, I don't know how many of you got that, but so they've recently moved to Germany. Um, in case you don't know them, they're a Korean family, who've moved around quite a lot in their life, and their eldest child, Johan, uh, is now I think about nine or so, and he's attended five different primary schools in his life. Um, starting a new one, doesn't speak any German, and uh, Renee, as his father writes, we're trying to make new friends, which may say times of strangers, leaving a comfortable place where we used to be and starting a new life all over again are always adventurous and always very exciting. This is a journey with God that we learn to rely on Him by being a child. The great thing they found is that whichever country they are living in, when you're together with other people who share that same faith in Jesus Christ and your fellow citizens, I remember it was a really encouraging part of my sabbatical to, to meet people from other countries or even in your own country um, who are part of that same kingdom. You may have, humanly speaking, very little in common, but you share the most important thing. You are citizens of the same kingdom. Geographical boundaries can change, as we see all around us in the news, but God's kingdom is more secure, it's more enduring than any human kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom. The part of this kingdom, but also part of this family. Being citizens of the same kingdom is great, but um, to actually be members of this household, to be brothers and sisters in Christ, is a great thing. Um, in human families, as we know, brothers and sisters don't always get on, um, but um, however much they may disagree and fall out, there's still that important bond, isn't there, that holds them together. Likewise, Christians will fall out with one another. But remember, when we remember the bond that we have, the fact that we share the same Father, 
that should make us sort out any issues that we have. It may be that we have no human family left, or they're all dispersed, but the church is a family, and hopefully we'll find the right care and support in this church family. And finally, you're part of his temple. It's not a community of people now he's talking about, it's actually a physical building, but um, let's read what it says in verse 20. It says, you are built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Throughout our building project here, we have to constantly remind ourselves that the, uh, the church is not a building, it is a people. But the image of a building here can be quite useful to describe God's people for a few reasons. Firstly, because a building needs a foundation. And a foundation on which the church is built, as it says here, the apostles and prophets. That group of people Jesus chose, he gave authority to, to teach in his name. Those ones who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus in the Word of God. So what it's saying is that the Word of God has to be the foundation on which the church is built. Everything we do has to be tested, not by what we think is a good idea, but by God's Word. Which is why we have the basis of faith which we believe in. But secondly, the building has a cornerstone which holds it together. Jesus is the key to church unity. He's the key to church growth. And all our great ideas will fail if they're not dependent on him, if they're not motivated by glorifying him, and if they don't have as their aim to point others to, to him. Which is why on Thursday night we were talking about the whole rhythm of prayer, the importance of coming together in prayer to depend on God. If we're praying to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, we will ensure that we don't go off track, that we won't rely on our own strength. The other important part of the temple, the image of the temple, of course, is that in the Old Testament, the temple symbolised God's presence with his people. Now, the new temple is not a physical place. It's a community of people who have the spirit living in them. So to live as God's people in Christ is to know his love, is to know the peace and the comfort of his spirit through all the ups and downs of life in this world. But it's also look forward to the creation of the new heavens and new earth when we will know the full experience of what it is to be in God's presence. That is what we're looking forward to now. The Spirit has been given to us as a, a seal, a down payment of that time. And that is as we finish. When the voice from heaven will declare in the words of Revelation, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be there, God. Let's pray. Father, we are reminded this morning that there was a time when we were separate from Christ. And there may be some here this morning who still are in that situation were separate from him. We do pray for, for them that they would accept that offer of reconciliation, that free gift that Christ has offered in his blood on the cross. For those of us who already accepted it, we thank you again for that, Lord, and 
thank you that we now live in unity with God's people in Jesus Christ and Lord we thank you for what that means we thank you for what it means to be uh, citizens of the same kingdom to be brothers and sisters in Christ and where we Lord may have differences Lord unite us we pray bring us together and help us to remember who our father is and who our brother is Jesus Christ himself so Lord help us to look forward to that day when we will be with you um, together in your presence and we will know that full experience and help us to live life in this world looking forward to that day in Jesus name Amen Well we're going to close by praising God for the one who made it possible for us to be reconciled to God and to be a part of his people Close by saying the grace together The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore